Now, the making of a good compilation tape is a very subtle art, many do's and don'ts. First of all, you're using someone else's poetry to express how you feel. This is a delicate thing. Welcome, everyone. This is That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Elba. This is a special bonus episode. It's a new thing that we're trying. It's a mixtape episode, a bonus mixtape episode. And I'm going to tell you how it came about. Just real quick, before I do anything else, I want to welcome our newest patrons to the show. I got Nathan Foley, uh, Oscar Herrera. Uh, welcome uh, as patrons to the show. And also, I got some dude from Melbourne, Australia that didn't want me to say his name. He didn't want to shout out, but... Dude from Melbourne, uh, Australia, I won't say his name because he didn't want, I don't know, maybe he doesn't want to be associated with the show or something, I don't know, but that's fine. I'll respect that, but uh, Nathan Foley, Oscar Herrera, welcome. Uh, don't forget, if you could become a patron of the show, just go to patreon.com forward slash TRJMH and you could become a patron. All right, so let's get to this. I invited uh, my friend, long time, I've known this dude, like, really long, 30 plus 4, years. 4,000 years. Yes. <laughs> Robert, all right, so this is Robert Price, Sir Robert Price. Welcome to the show, Robert. Welcome. Thank you, man. It's great right. to be here. Founder, uh, along with uh, his co-conspirator Priya Ray, uh, who is in the background there, but uh, maybe we'll hear from him a little later. Uh, She's the walking the dog right now. Thirty. Well, good, <laughs> good. That's good. We got to keep her busy. Of the thirty-plus years running, right? Uh, musical juggernaut that is Creamy Electric Santa. I first know Robert from down here in uh, South Florida, Creamy Electric Santa. He's also dabbled in Banco Christ, the Bunions, Monostat 3, and various solo ventures. All right, but I asked, so Robert, you know, we had talked, uh, he had said, oh, I I heard the podcast, and I said, oh, you should be a guest. And I knew, Robert, I'm just going to tell you this right now, I knew you were going to be some kind of a pain in the ass about it, a little bit of a pain in the ass. Not, not, not in a bad way, but just. I'm known for being that way. <laughs> you're just known. You're just not a rule player. So he was going back and forth in some records, and like, ah, well, this one, and then finally said, you know, I really have. I used, I made these mixtapes. I used to make these mixtapes, and that would really be better. And then I was thinking, yeah, you know, that's true because. It's not, you know, uh, obviously the whole idea of the show is that record got me high, people bring in records, but sometimes it's just a song or two. You know, an artist will just have one great song and maybe not the whole record won't be that great, but 
a really great curated mixtape is like an, a, a great thing. And I, and I knew Robert, I knew Robert would come up with a really good mixtape. So I said, yeah, you know what? Do that. Just give me a minute. And of course I tell him 12 songs. What does he do? He gives me one more 13 because like I said, he can't follow the rules. He's, he's incapable of following the rules. I was trying, man. Yeah. There well, was a lot more than 13. Let's just say of that. course it was. Of course it was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I had to kick out like stereo eyes and like, the only one. Well, thing. I think what yeah. we're going to do, you know what I'm going to have you do, Robert? Uh, by the time this comes out, I'm going to have you give me like a full on uh, mixtape list and I'll and I'll do a playlist. So if anyone wants to go deeper into the mind of uh, of uh, Sir Robert Price, they can do that Uh-oh. and it's all that. So, yeah, yeah, I know. It's a the scary thing. Spiral. <laughs> so tell me before we get into the mixtape, uh, Robert, like I said, I know you from Creamy Electric Santa, but you guys so you guys have existed in three, because you were, um, Miami is when you formed, was it 92? Yeah, I guess so. And the only reason we know that is from Priya's old roommate, Kirsten Hunter, because um, I mean, we're terrible with dates and we're terrible right. with all sorts of things. We don't have a video for the band and we've been around for like, you know, 30 years. Right. It's just <laughs> weird that way, but I'm of just... Of course not. <laughs> I'm just like, nothing's ever good enough, so... Right, right. And I don't know if it really sucked, that would be fine. But you know, yeah, being halfway there is never good enough for me. So I don't know. Anyway. So you were all right. So Miami, and then you were in San Francisco for a while. Well, I mean, we initially like I'm from Brooklyn. Initially, I, I lived there up until the age of 18, and then I moved to. Um, and it was actually weird because. I was like 18 years old. I was like starting to go out. I was starting to go to the city, starting to go to shows. I had a fake ID when I was 17. I got to see Iggy Pop. I got to see Richard Hell. a lot of fucking amazing shows which i was really fortunate uh, there was like this new wave station that was around for a very short period of time and they would play like richard health and the boy doing so it was kind of like the early days of mtv where they were just digging for anything right, right. yeah yeah so richard hell was playing this place the brooklyn zoo so richard hell starts playing and he goes on stage and um, it's me and about four people, and a dwarf was one of the people. And it was just insane because this guy, everyone was wasted out of their freaking mind and going insane. And Richard Hell was just playing, and all these guys were like, there was probably like 50, 60 guys that were there. A lot of them left, but then like 50, 60 guys that were staying in the back and just heckling them the whole time. And I realized after a while, it's like, wait, that's the same song you played already. And then I started realizing. Wait, that's that's the same song he was playing the last time. So he's playing the exact same set in the exact same chronological order just to fuck with these people. Oh, right, right, and I, right. I recently wrote to him just to see, like, oh, man, I wonder if Richard Hell remember, remembers this. Oh, remembers and, that <laughs> specific show? <laughs> yeah, speaking of feeling old, he didn't really remember the name of the place. He's of, like, course oh, he, of course he didn't. Bar. No, of course he wouldn't. <laughs> He's in his 70s now, right? right? right so, right. yeah, I mean, I hope, you know, years of, you know, drug <laughs> abuse and whatnot, you know, you could still stand, nevertheless, remember 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, amazed he's still, I'm amazed he's still alive, really, in a way, when you think about it. Yeah, I'm amazed I'm still alive in a that's way. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and I should say, me and I, I always feel like, even though we didn't, we didn't like hang out or anything back in the day, but I always felt a kindred spirit because at the end of the day, we're both two Jewish kids from uh, New York. I'm from Queens, you know, he's from Brooklyn, but we're, we're yeah, yeah, no, that's true. New York, so you know that we always, uh, you have a certain sensibility when you when you're a Jewish kid coming from New York, right? Wouldn't you say? I, I learned to get my ass kicked very well. You just, I mean, you have a, you have a certain life experiences. That's why I get so mad. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I have a friend of mine who like, he decided he, he, he's not Jewish anymore. No, I'm not, I'm not. If people ask him, no, I'm not Jewish because he, he thinks, and it's like, no, you can't do that. You can't just denounce it. Even though I'm, I'm obviously not religious. We aren't religious or anything, but you can't just say you're not a Jew. You're a Jew, right? That's it. You are. Well, it's like the Jew Buddhist, you know, it's like. <laughs> It's like I'm from New York and I'm not a Jew anymore. I'm a Buddhist. Exactly. It's yeah. Like Fuck New York the, yeah, Buddhist. That's such bullshit. All right. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you agree with that. A spiritual awakening of sorts. Yeah. Initially, my dad's last name was 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 Posner, and he changed it to Price. So that's why. Oh, okay. My last okay. Name was yeah, Price. yeah. Because Price uh, is not a very Jewy name at all. All right. So we were getting. I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but you did. You did spend some time in San Francisco, right? Yeah, well, initially, like what happened was I was um, I was living in Brooklyn um, and I was just starting to go out and party and do things. And my best friend was gay and my mom. It was during the height of AIDS starting to happen. Right. My sister moved out to Florida and my mom was just terrified, you know, because I was dressing weird. I would you know wear my like oh, tuxedo yeah, right. jacket. Yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with Udo Kier from uh, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein and Dracula. So I tried to like grease my hair back but i had like this really wavy jew hair so i remember that look, look I, like I remember that, that look <laughs> it did not work very well um and you know i used to get like punched every day in school uh, in school not not you know right yeah um so yeah things weren't going too well so she decided to move off to florida and that's where my florida adventures started but we were, we were there for about 14 years, uh, initially in Fort Lauderdale, and then I met Priya, and then I moved to uh, Miami. And it's a long, sordid story, but, you know, we just moved to Georgia initially. Oh, okay. And then Priya had her spinal injury after we were there for about a year. Right. That's and right. we moved in with that. her parents, and then we finally got the means to move to San Francisco, which... For years, everyone was like, man, Cream Electric Santa is such a San Francisco band. You guys should move there. It's and true. Yeah, it, 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 it's true. Yeah, you guys, in a way, you you kind of were. We missed the boat on that, though. Oh, we well. moved a little <laughs> bit too late. So oh, okay. It was cool, though. We had a great lineup out there. We had met some really cool bands and met some really cool people, and it was really enjoyable. But we are East Coast people. We're not West Coast people. So right. we had to kind of move back and get back with, like, family which was cool because like over the period of those 10 years moving back you know like our parents passed away and we were here for that so that was yeah, kind of good yeah. you know and, and you guys are in and you guys are in north carolina now right Asheville, north carolina we're we're in Asheville, yeah 
Yeah. And you're still, I will say, Robert, over the years, I've always, Creamy Electric Santa, you've always put out quality stuff. And one of the secret uh, weapons that I feel you guys have is you guys would always have good uh, drummers. You'd always have really good drummers, and that made a big difference. I think, you know, with that's people. That's true. Yeah, right? it does help. Yeah. It, it helps. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's always great stuff. It also stuff. helps when you spend like five years working on a seven inch. <laughs> well, yeah, you could be like, you could be obsessive, a little obsessive, which is why we're doing this episode. You know, it all comes back to that. But uh, just to let people know really quick, you can go to Creamy Electric Santa. That's electric without the uh, E. Creamy Electric Santa.bandcamp.com. That's the best place for people to go, right? To check out that. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. They yeah. don't let you put the apostrophe in there, so whatever. No, you know. Yeah, right. We didn't really think about that 30 years I ago. I can picture you giving them a hard time, Bandcamp. Well, why can't we have the apostrophe? <laughs> uh, fuck it. At this point, really. Good. Who cares? Fuck yeah. it. All right. So, anyway, so this is what it comes down to is you gave me this mixtape of all these, like, really great songs. Some of them I knew, some of them I sort of knew wasn't familiar some of them i wasn't familiar with at all but they all make sense knowing you they all make sense that oh yeah okay i see why (laughs) this is this is is you um yeah so let's uh so let's dive into it let's get to the first i'm doing them in the order you gave me so that's that's it and oh that's uh, perfect yeah and so let's listen to the it's the single popcorn by hot butter Explain what this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Hot Butter was it was it was Perry Kingsley who actually did the Joker's Wild theme uh, game show, and that being the first song I remember hearing on the radio, that was like, whoa! It did really get me high at the age of like five or however old I was. Oh wow! Apparently okay. the first. Apparently the first song I ever liked, according to my parents, was Love is Blue. Yeah, yeah, oh, he did the original, yeah, Love is Blue, which 
you know, I'm not particularly crazy about it now, but, it, but your par- according yeah. to your parents, it was your favorite song. So <laughs> it warms the right. cockles of my crouch. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> but um, when I first heard the song, it just really blew my mind. I didn't know what the sounds were, and it was just really unreal to my ears as a child and really kind of got me into a lot of electronic music and I don't know it just definitely um even though it's it's very much like blues based structure you know it's definitely following a very formulaic structure the sounds were just wild and it had live instruments and synthesis there is I was gonna ask you do you think that's that's live drums yeah, it yeah, is, no, I think right? They, yeah, I think they had like session musicians, I believe. Okay, okay. Um, I think Hot Butter was not like a real band. I, I could be wrong, but I know <laughs> probably Perry not. Kingsley, you're right. Perry Kingsley did a lot of like records, and they were they they did a lot more like commercial electronic music. They weren't like you know. Um, they weren't like, you know, Stockhausen where they were doing like really um, out there, adventurous, like, you know, tone poems and experimental, you know, uh, classical music. Yeah. Yeah. Because this almost this almost sounds like it, it could be like a game show theme or something like that. And I, I remembered hearing this. I, I recognize this and I remembered hearing it. They kind of fit into the whole like kind of easy listening, but like outsider easy listening, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's uh, all right. So that's cool. That kind of got you. Yeah, because I was. At first, I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot of, like, proggy stuff on here. But then I remember, no, Cream Electric, you guys were kind of proggy. Really, you were. I, I mean, I you were. I think of as like, deconstructive prog. Right, right, right. right. About, it was kind of like, what if the Swell Maps did prog? Ah, um, okay, that's good. Wrong I like about that. it. Yep, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, this next one, originally you were going to do the album, uh, A Camembert Electric by Gong, right? Yeah, correct, yeah. And we used to play that, like, every time we do a show, that was, like, the opening album, you know, until we'd get set up and tuned. Right. Although we never tuned back then. All right, so this is from that album, though, from uh, Gong. This is their second studio album. Uh, Correct, from 71. Yeah, all right, let's listen to You Can't Kill Me.
Yeah, so like I said, when I'm listening to this, I could definitely hear the influence on your music and uh, Creamy Electric Santa. But so how do you discover, as a young kid, how do you discover uh, Gong, a band like Gong? You want to hear the true story? Yeah, or... Of course. <laughs> okay, it's, it's kind of, it's fucked up, but I, you know, I was like, my mom already, you know, told me I was moving to uh, Florida and I was just like, you know, suddenly breaking out of my shell, suddenly going out and doing things. And right. I'm like walking around in my like leather jacket with stupid spikes in the fucking like uh, shoulder pads. I know. And, can, can I just say it's kind of I mean, I wouldn't say funny, I, ironic that your mom, because she was terrified you were going to get AIDS because you were just so weird. She assumed, well, he's he's probably gay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's happened actually. My grandmother asked me once, like, you know, are you gay? Right. I mean, I'll still love you, and I'm like, no, but I mean, that's cool. I have nothing against it. Of course and, not. You know, a yeah. lot of my friends were, and right, it was just kind of weird because, like, right before AIDS happened, it really like things were definitely opening up as far as acceptance of homosexuality. Right, and right, right. I I mean, you probably remember too. It was just kind of weird, and suddenly you had this crazy disease that was preying on you know, the gay population, and yeah. then it just seemed to go in the opposite direction. But anyway, to go in that disturbing direction with the story, so I was just, like, walking down the street, and this, like, neighbor of mine kind of, like, asked me if I wanted to hang out and listen to music, oh. and I, I did so <laughs> a few times with him, and he turned me on to Gong Angel Egg, which was a later album, and then he, like, propositioned me. It was kind of strange. Oh, boy, okay. Um, and then I moved to Florida... And I was just like looking through specs, you know, and, and the records that um, the records that, you know, didn't sell that no one else these, wanted. Right. These <laughs> crazy fucking I saw his gong record and it was like gong got a lot more proggy and a lot more like that record is so rough and ragged and it's progressive, but it's really nasty, too. Yeah, and that, yeah, like that is. song sounds like something. If, if I told you, oh, yeah, this was something that the Mansons had been listening to, like, nonstop, you would totally believe it. Oh, because of course, it has yeah. this sort of <laughs> cosmic, psychotic element going. Yeah. And um, I, I just, I, I, I heard it. And to be honest with you, and this is something I, we never really talked about, but it really kind of was the influence of the band name to some degree. I mean, we were kind of going around, tossing around different, different, adjectives and different words and stuff but you know that record really like kind of stuck out for me it was just really like it, it was an anarchist collective gong but right, you know right. the thing about gong that's you know if I, I could play you gong and you would think wow this is like the worst freaking fusion garbage I've ever heard because the drummer <laughs> had his own gong and like there were gong offshoots that were like eh, yeah this is okay Right. You'd have to be truly open-minded and truly into Prague to totally embrace all of Gong because some of it's on the verge of New Age, you know? It's just very quiet and soft. But the stuff with David Allen, like the early stuff, um, he was just wild. I mean, he's just crazy. He, was, he initially started in Soft Machine, oh, okay. um, and then wow. he left after the first album. And um, I, I actually saw him a couple of times before he died, and, it was interesting. I definitely, um, I saw one version of like a solo thing and he did, I guess Gong were known for having a chef at shows. So he had a chef there, <laughs> like, you know, the whole fucking hat and everything. And he was like cooking and giving people food for free, you know, as part of the, 
the door. And I guess he had people from the Blue Man group playing with him. Um, they weren't in the Blue Man, you know, facial stuff. Right, 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 um, right. right. Uh, but yeah, he was, he's a pretty wild cat. Um, and he did like some pretty interesting stuff. He actually did a lot of experimental stuff too, which, um, you know, it was hit or miss, but that's the nature of experimental music too. Exactly. You know, and definitely not... a, a kindred spirit. I, you, you feel like a kindred spirit with you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely was an influence. So that's, you know, I knew there had to be at least a gong song on this but um, yeah and it, it's great i'd never heard it before it's a great song and now we get this is another one i knew and uh it's a it, of course it's a great song a uh, great album uh but i'm interesting uh, i'm interested why you picked it but let's listen to it first let's listen to germ free adolescence by Just, just aside from everything else, just uh, Pystyrene. Just listen to her singing when her voice is like just breaking a little in that. It's like so. She was so great, man. So good. And it cuts right through your bones. Yes. I mean, you know, talk about music that gets the endorphins flowing. I mean, you you hear like, you know, songs like "Oh Bondage Up Yours." It, it just cuts right through your skull. It's right. not like, and I could see certain people hearing it and being like, "Oh my god, it's so annoying," but. No, it's fucking beautiful. It's really amazing. Well, that's the, yeah, really... that's the secret. I always felt that's the secret sauce of Creamy uh, Electric Santa was you skated on the thing of being annoying and beautiful, <laughs> right? I mean, that was, well, that the, was just that's being the thing. general, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, actually, yeah. like Priya just recently, like um, she's been learning the ukulele and trying to learn alternate songs oh, to nice. do on the ukulele, and been like opening up for like our sets she'll do one song so she did a Funyuns song but yeah she was actually learning that on the ukulele oh great i just was realizing like the main thing like all this almost all the songs were dudes and i was like i mean i love x-ray specs but i was like i should definitely have some songs that women did because exactly there are definitely a lot of a lot of female sung songs that i really dig too um so like i don't know i had raincoats in there and of course the the slits and Don't 
you know, yeah. those bands. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just amazing how, like, a lot of the female, like, post-punk bands, how innovative they were, even, like, compared to the male post-punk bands of the time. Like, there are, you know, of course, like, Gang of Four, amazing, like, predating, like, the Minutemen in that, like, funk-punks-type syncopated, you know, style. Right. But, yeah, like, a lot the, of the female... Uh, slits were doing that, too. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of those the female bass bands were just so ahead of their time they were and none of them sounded like they each had their own thing none of them sounded like each other and yeah and it was very uh yeah it was, it's all great yeah no all cool. right so your next one oh, this is great i'm really glad you picked uh velvet underground also makes sense for you and your music obviously that's like ground zero in a way right well i mean Lou Reed, it's it's it, you know when i started playing music and like lou reed was the perfect He's like a Jew from Brooklyn. He can't fucking sing. Exactly. He's yes. A, <laughs> he's he is a poet, I guess, but he, he's also an arrogant bastard. Yep. There you, you go. Know? And <laughs> but like the the one thing that was really crazy is like a lot of people got into the first album, or you know, White Light, White Heat. But for me, like initially, the first Velvet Underground stuff I got, and this is like going a lot of these records too were from a time when. You know, I got a $5 allowance back in the 80s, right? right? So I would go to get the cutout bins and look through shit. And, you know, WFMU was definitely a big influence and WLRN. Back then, I would just, like, discover stuff and try to, like, find those records. But all the, like, the imports and all that stuff, it wasn't like today where you could just find a download and you're real lucky. I like, know, I know, yeah. Imports, you needed, like, 30 bucks or... You know, then there was shit like Metal Box, which was like, you know, you would basically have to wait to, for your birthday to get that second pill album in the Metal Box. <laughs> right. I was like insane. But so I used to go to the cutout bins and like I'd find records by like Polyrock. You'd always find their records. And they, they that was another band that I had to kick out of my list. But they were like this new wavy sort of agit band and they had like Philip Glass in the band. But one of the records that I did find, like digging through the cheap bin, was the Velvet Underground 69 double album, the fold out. Girls oh, nice. You got the double album and a cut up and amazing because it is it's mm -hmm. so great. I got it. I mean, they eventually reissued it in like in two separate CDs. But I remember mm -hmm. getting that and I was obsessed with both of them because it's great. I think for me, it's some of the best Velvet Underground. But let's listen to it and then we'll talk about it more. Let's listen to Lisa Says sure. from uh, Velvet Underground 1969. Lisa says on a night like this Be so nice if you give me a kiss And Lisa says for just one little smile I'll sit next to you for a You must be so 
So Robert, as a young kid getting this record and you're listening to it, because the thing is, it in a way, it's just like a really good rock band, a really good rock and roll band playing in a club live, but there's just this something else going on here, right? There's just like some something you can't describe, but some little edge or just something that's not quite like any other live rock and roll album. Well, like while you were playing it, I was thinking, you know, the, the version that was actually recorded, I think it's on the third album, right? Yeah. Um, and when he does Lisa Says part, he sings it kind of like he's trying to sound like Bob Dylan. Right, 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 and right. <laughs> when he sings it here, you can feel like the pain in his voice and it's just awkward and the sort of you know what the song is about it's just like there's something wrong with me and i'm not quite fitting in and yeah 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 and then it goes and then and then it's really cool because i'll play it underneath later on because it goes in it's almost like three separate little songs right because he goes into like why am i so yeah it's true it's true and uh and it has this kind of like half day sort of uh, just very like intimate feel to it yeah yeah right right it's one, you know, to go in another detour in, in another direction. But, like, when this record, it was, like, the record that got me into playing guitars. So I would just sit oh, okay, and just okay. drum along to it. And, you know, for me, it's like, that was back when, like, I don't know, like, when I first moved to Florida, I was so depressed. Because, you know, I just had no friends. I didn't really have a band. I finally, like, looked in the rag and found some musicians he used to play with, but it was it was hard finding people to do yeah. anything, you know, and, and especially people who understand the sensibilities of coming from New York and moving to undeveloped Fort Lauderdale. Oh, believe you me, know, I had the same when, thing. My family moved down here in the late 70s. I, I started middle school down here in Florida. It's like a, a whole different world. Coming from New York to Florida, it's a whole different world, yeah. But I feel like, too, that kind of brought on a lot more of an edge as well. Like, I mean, I don't think I would have been able to go in the directions I did if I stayed in New York. I probably would be dead, most likely. (laughs) I mean, my mom mom was so your mom was probably right, Robert. (laughs) She was probably onto something. I mean, she did have a place with rent control. We would have been paying 350 bucks a month, me and my friends. And we probably would have moved on from, you know, purple microdot to other things, I'm sure. Yeah, you're right. You probably would have been dead. (laughs) <laughs> right when shit was starting to blow up and things were, I mean, New York was really kind of crazy back then. And, um, you know, it wasn't just like the movie Smithereens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was more going on. There was definitely a, an underbelly. There was darkness, which was great. I mean, that was what made New York awesome. And back that's then what, too. yeah, and, and that's what the Velvet Underground brings. That, that's why you need to, to put a Velvet Underground song on this whole thing, right? Because that's. Uh, oh, well, I mean, it's right just. Then. Yeah, I mean, growing up in public, my, my your pants down would have been another one. But listening back to it now, I could definitely hear the yes musicianship. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> he had some hired guns that were, like, totally professional. He kind of, for some reason, thought that he had to add that to his music. And it sort of took away a lot from it. Yeah, yeah. This I mean, was, yeah, like that, that's why I said that 1969 is just so great to me. I love just listening to both those. Uh, uh, just just listening to them, it's just great. They were just like a they were on and they're playing. You know, for maybe people, you know, maybe some people there were there to hear them, but some people there were just like didn't know what they were hearing. 
but uh, it's just great. It's just like a certain mood and a time. And it's 1969. It's crazy, right? I know. And you can tell after the songs, too. It's just like a spattering of applause. Yeah, it's not yeah, like but it... <laughs> it's not like they're playing freaking arenas or anything. No, you know, no, there was no, definitely no. it was very intimate. All right. So now we got a pig bag, which is great. I, I knew this song and I and I got. Uh, yeah, this is real interesting that you put this one on here. Papa's got a brand new pig bag. Yeah, so how did this, how did you discover a pig bag in this song? Like, how did you come across it? They used to be playing on the radio, like college radio used to play that yeah, song a lot. It, it, right, in the early 80s. I think I heard it on Radio Free Living Room, which was in the early 80s. There was a show, Radio Free Living Room by Eric Moss, and I used to tape it. So that, that used to be my mixtape, was I would just tape Radio Free Living Room. I was really surprised, like, years later when I finally saw videos of them. There really weren't any black members in the band. They were right. all just a bunch of <laughs> and it's white so funky, British dudes. Right? <laughs> and I thought at first for years that they were like from New York because they had that kind of New York style, like you know, because like there was the whole No New York thing that the No New York record, which came out, which you know Brian Eno picked like some of the more like darker, weirder, noisier, like you know, musicians that seemed like they couldn't play. But there was actually another form of the no wave scene you know where you had like the lounge lizards and uh, uh basquiat's band gray were kind of tied in with that whole scene too oh okay it yeah, was but kind of almost like this disco-y kind of aggro like right right with a little bit of free jazz so i kind of thought they were in that scene yeah but they were like, british like right bongos <laughs> were kind of yeah but they were just like yeah they were totally like these british dudes they did put out a great album too uh Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hype, I believe. It's really, really interesting. It's weird. And they did a lot of 12 inches. Right. Um, and they all have that kind of big band, sort of calypso, weird sort of, I don't know, just like they were mixing a lot of different styles. And like my dad was a musician. He played like Latin music. And he wasn't really around since the age of eight. His whole death was kind of mysterious and shit. But he... I, I won't get too deeply into that because that would be a whole fucking episode onto itself. But um, a different podcast. But he he I, when he died, like I started discovering all these like uh, 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 Fuentes like uh, Latin records and stuff, and I was kind of raised with that stuff. So when I heard this, it was like it definitely spoke to me. Like it had that rhythm and that 
Right. That well, edginess, and there's a free jazz element too, which I was starting to get into then as well. Yeah. Well, uh, what I was going to say is that was a cool thing about like in the 80s, like you would get whatever weirdo music, they would play it and it, it could be punk. Like I saw, they call them a, a British dance punk band, but it's, it isn't really punk. But yeah, it all is because that's what I loved how any of the weirdo music made its way to like people like us who just love to listen to all, all different kinds of shit, you know, and didn't care oh, yeah. too much about what like the label flight. was. Too. Yes, I, I yeah, recently yeah. watched a night flight from, you know, the 80s, and they had an entire uh, subgenius movie that they showed on there, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is like QAnon!" You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> they were preordaining where QAnon was going. Right. Um, but yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we get, I was glad you did. You said you had to do some local, like some Miami thing. And of course you picked the best. I mean, the eat uh, communist radio. Uh, I'm really glad you put this on here. Let's listen to communist radio by the mighty eat. I walked out of the Indian ocean. I walked in the So good. 1979 on Giggling Hitler Records, uh, written by the late, great Michael O'Brien and uh, and his brother, Eddie O'Brien. Man, this, so yeah, Robert, this again, they were they were punk just because they couldn't be anything. What else would they be? No one else would take them, so they punk, but they weren't really... Uh, they like were, yeah, they were kind of like working class. They were kind of almost like the Minutemen in the respect yeah, of these yeah, working right, class right. Joes. Yeah. They weren't like, they didn't have pink hair. No, no, right, yeah. But if I mean, you watch old like punk rock videos, like there's dudes with beards at yeah, like, exactly. sex <laughs> concerts, and right. it was just totally not. It hadn't really developed an identity yet, or, or uh, you know, when you the '70s go into the '80s, it takes like at least three, four years before the time develops a new, you know, its own personality. Right. Um, but yeah, they were they were like, you know, they were these they were these two brothers and. When we moved to Florida, like they were, they were just like starting to do some reunion shows. But Michael, like at one point, he told me that there were a bunch of those records, not the second record, um, that, that oh, were like uh, in there. God punches the eat. God punches the eat that were in his attic, and they weren't like so much they had money. a book. There was bird shit all over a bunch of them, and he gave me a copy once, and I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I just it's like so great. But he was so awesome. I mean, it was really, you know, he was in the Drug Czars too, yes, which was yes. also a really underrated band from Florida, and um, Chris Cotty. Like we, I don't know, like we, we really like 
we love them and they really liked us too which was really cool they were really like very supportive to other bands even though they came from you know they really could have just ignored everybody yeah yeah and they right yeah exactly been like we're the fucking e who cares <laughs> exactly. about you but i mean i remember one show uh, uh, Eddie O'Brien, Chris Cotty was like playing. He was a big guy. He yes, was he huge. was. <laughs> and he played drums, but he could really play the drums. And and people were yelling for an encore. And like Eddie O'Brien, being the sarcastic, obnoxious ass he was, oh, was like, "Look at this guy! I'm gonna give him a fucking heart attack. I'm not gonna deal with that shit." Like he's ready to fucking have a heart attack. Oh, he's sweating like a goddamn pig. Oh, that's <laughs> like, crazy. Holy shit. But that was sort of the, the sense of humor back then. Exactly. But, you know, exactly. by today's standards, you'd never see that at a show. But they loved each other. They were like, you know, brothers. They, yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah, a totally different time and a totally different mindset. But they, they were like definitely, you know, they were just amazing live. They were so much fun and they were just such great guys. And great songs, like such great uh, songwriters, right? I mean, there's great songs. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Lyrically, musically, just everything. I mean, everything's checked, you know? Exactly. And it's funny because, like, the production on those records is so shrill and so up there. Oh, yeah, like, no, it is. It's probably, like, the worst-sounding thing on the mixtape. But uh, And you could hear they basically did it live in the studio, and you could hear people at the end of the song, you'd hear people, like, wooing and clapping, I guess they're friends in the studio. It's great. And Mike just told me, he's like, yeah, we just turned everything up. Yep. We were just like, you know, and the engineer is like ready to have a heart attack. Oh, himself. I'm sure. <laughs> and just, yeah, we just turned it all up. And, you know. All right. So now we get, and now we get, like I said, there were some things on here I was not familiar with at all. And Faust, uh, the Faust tapes, I was not. So let's, uh, I'm going to have you introduce the song because I do not know how to pronounce this correctly. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. All right, never mind. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know the name of the song and had to look it up. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Jamal Odent. Let's let's say that. That's great. So this is the German Krautrock uh, group Faust. This is 1973. You know, Robert, I was going to ask you, do you ever feel like you were born like maybe 10 years too late? Because I noticed a lot. Your sweet spot is really like the early 70s. Yeah, I love that stuff. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, I was also, I think when you're a child, those are the things that really influence you the most. And yeah, I never really, my sister was five years older than me, but she was listening to shit like, you know, Elton John and Led Zeppelin. Right, and right. Then yeah, exactly. The disco phase. 
So I really didn't get a chance to get turned on by any of that stuff when I was a kid. But like this record in particular, I was already like kind of moving into can and getting into all that stuff. And I just moved to Florida. Um, I was living in Fort Lauderdale and there was a place called Sid's Records. Yes. I and remember he was an old, old man. He was like the kind of guy, if you breathe wrong on a record, he'll kick you out of there. <laughs> and everything was $10. It didn't matter what it was. So if you went in there, and this is before the internet, you know, I I saw the Faust tapes, and it was, I, it was like when it, uh, the first, I don't know, the first pressing, but it, it was you know early pressing when it was just had the op art pattern, and the back of the record was a bunch of reviews, and it was just black and white. It looked like a bootleg, and it just, I just spoke to me. I'm like, right, right, I couldn't right. listen to it. I just read the reviews that were in English because I didn't understand French or German or. You know any of the other languages on there and the record is just a pastiche it's just like they randomly took these songs and cut them up and threw them on there in some random fashion perhaps i mean i would assume that's the case but it had a very umagama type feel to it but a little bit more out there and the whole story with faust i guess there were they had like a dude who um, was extremely wealthy that had a really huge compound that they lived at like a mansion and essentially just finance them uh in their early days so they were able to just record and put out records and do whatever the hell they wanted to oh, nice. so as far as like the the kraut rock bands from that period and they're actually the band that cited the term kraut rock they did a song called kraut rock which oh, really? apparently detested the term i think all those bands most of them really detest the term right right but um but they, they were just really kind of, I, I, I just love them. I think, you know, as far as those bands, there's a few like Flo de Cologne, which is another German band that I, I really dig this record, Fleisberg Baby, which is pretty wild. But that record is just, I don't know, it just really has an important, it was an important thing for me. You know, when I first got it, it was just like, oh, I got this. And yep. nobody knows about it, you know? And it was just like, at the time, it was before Faust, got a big resurgence and things were happening for them, but it was definitely a, a good $10 spent. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, now we got another German, uh, I guess, German English uh, avant pop group, uh, another group okay. that I had not heard oh, of, no. Slap Happy. So let's listen to the drums. <laughs>
This is really great. I'll tell you, I I, I never heard this before, and I love this. This made me want to dive in more into Slap Happy and, and know more about these guys because it's it's yeah, great. They're, they're... They're all over the map too. Like the rest of this record, it's it's on this record called Slap Happy or Slap Happy. And it's actually, I don't think this is the version that, because Faust actually played as a backup group on a version of drum, but I don't think this is the version. This is actually as a three piece. Oh, okay. Um, but there's a more mellow version. But Dagmar Krauss, the singer, she also was in Henry Cow. She actually sang on some Henry Cow songs, oh, okay, like there's nice. a crazy song war, which you could definitely tell she she's from Germany. She has a very Germanic style on that song. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, uh, there's a lot of German things going on for, for a Jewish kid from New York. You <laughs> Were you like a little obsessed with these German? <laughs> no, I mean, a lot of this stuff too, I think I got into Slap Happy. This, this, this actually, this song was turned on, uh, we got turned on, to this song by Bill Orcutt, and he was like telling us how we should do a cover of it. Oh, nice. And then we realized nice. soon afterwards that Bongwater did a cover of the other version of it. It it really is just, I think it's just guitar, drums, and vocals. Right. And but the guitar is so freaking like, you know, talk about like polystyrene cutting through your bone. The guitar is yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's really good. It, it, it's really it's good. Sonic. It's, it's really like this. And it's just like rock and roll, but it's really played in such a like uncompromising, like, fuck you. This is it. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of uncompromising, now we get the third of your of your German uh, trio. This is uh, now we have Einstein Nubatten, which is the band. These always gave me anytime when I hear German uh, spoken in very like, uh, um, you know, um, I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable as a Jew, a little uncomfortable. But uh, this is uh... this album. I mean, their music in particular would make one very uncomfortable. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's supposed to though. I think right. Blixir, his his vocals make Johnny Johnny Rotten sound like freaking you know uh, Engelbert Humpelting. I yeah, mean, yeah, he yeah, really, right. <laughs> he really. I mean, that makes a song great. It's right. just his vocals building up over a period of time, and it's just really intense. At the time when this record came out, it really was like there was nothing else like it, and it really was just like, whoa. Yep. You gang footer mine ego, which is feed my ego. Einstein Nubatten. Yeah. 
kind of a like a very like an intense kind of like a suicide vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the closest I could think of something like this from before this was probably the normal warm leatherette that had oh, the same yeah, that's great. throbbing in your face. Like it, it just oh, when I, when I yeah when I, I even now when I hear it, it's still intense, but. Back when this came out, and Einstein Neubaden was more like the records before were more like live, and it, it was more minimal, and you know they didn't really use a sampler per se. This they kind of made into dance music, right? But it was the most barbaric <laughs> dance music. It was really like evil, and it just really like purged your soul in the most you know intense way i i just i just love this stuff it's just really like at the time when it came out it was just so uncompromising and yes, just really that's a good word smacked you upside the face whether you liked it or not there you you go. <laughs> all right and now we get sparks of course you had to put a spark song on here right yeah it's great that they're finally getting kudos i know right it's yeah, amazing I mean, it's like, like people like, discovering them after like how many years 40 years or something uh talk about cutout bins i mean sparks yes, records yes, were right. all over over the cutout bins yep. and that's actually one of the bands i got into because you know as i said five dollar allowance what oh, the hell nice. are you, spend? you can get two records for two ninety a dollar 99 each so you know I, I got indiscreet that was it's on that album and i i did a show for a while at Asheville fm beyond the realm of comprehension and i swear this song i must have played the most Talk about evil and dark and dramatic. <laughs> it is, yeah. The lyric, I know, it sounds very chirpy, but the lyrics are very dark. It has, it, it is the most Nazi-sounding song, but it's <laughs> it sort of about about hospitality. And I don't know if anyone's ever worked like a shitty hospitality job. Oh and just yeah, the whole concept yeah. of serving the public and done in a sort of Germanic, sort of Nazi sort of way. It's very sinister. But at the same time, I, I just love it. I That's thought it was great. just like hospitality <laughs> on parade. Someday we'll have one extra coastline. We'll tire up the Atlantic. By then we'll be rid of your lot. A shot around the world will soon be shot, will soon be shot. Until then, have some tea under tobacco. Jenny, meet your master Be nice, show him kindness and such Be kind to our master But the feeling is a that We don't need any masters Cause we all can be a master And we all can be a king We speak and we sing The way that you do And show you our hospitality on parade But now we are we We're no longer you Today you're gonna find their descendants In places all around you You're faced with the easiest task How best to act a king When always treated like a king Lunch counters at banks and the theatre Kind help right there to serve you Men selling and girls selling too And everyone special We all are someone special Yes, we all are someone special We all are someone special Someday we'll have one extra coastline We'll tire of the Atlantic
By then, we'll Brilliant. be rid of your lot. A shot heard around the world will soon be shot. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> and, and people wonder why they never really made it. Oh, <laughs> I know. Song. I know. It's like they're so <laughs> subversive. And so, but there's no, they're so great. There's no other band like Sparks, right? No other band like Well, that. I think my friend Paul Spambauer put it best. He said that they were just too smart for the general public. And oh, yeah, yeah, right. Why right. they became so big in Europe, because a lot of the reference points, and even so, like, to this day, I'm not really quite sure what the song is really about, but <laughs> the fact the fact that you're not quite sure what it's really about is what makes it so amazing. Well, uh, like you said, there's a sinister under underbelly to it, right? The whole thing. But it's like, yeah, you're right. It's hard to put your finger on it, but it's there. Yeah, yeah. And it just has such brilliant lyrics that it, it doesn't really matter, oh, you know, so which I think is great. All right. So this next one was kind of a surprise that I don't know just that you picked it there, but obviously it's great. And I love this song. I love Gang of Four, but I wouldn't automatically say oh yeah robert's a uh, gang of four fan but uh i guess it, it oh, totally. yeah and 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 this is so great uh originally it was just a single standalone single and then it was so did did you get it did you hear it on the because there was an ep right another yeah day, well another i remember dollar. just hearing it on the radio and i think i might have even taped it off the radio oh, i don't okay. think i okay record. um but yeah i mean i i just yeah, you hear this. How could you not fall in love with it as soon as you hear it, right? It's just, yeah, it's just, you know, talk about, like, a record getting you high. There's something really just amazing about, like, lyrically and just, yeah, the feel. Sonically. The, the with all that feedback and noise. It's just oh, so, so good. good. All right, let's listen to Elwood Pie. land right now some are insane and they're in charge how perfect is that right <laughs> it's brilliant yeah. it's brilliant <laughs> it's still topical today it is you know that's all the great <laughs> stuff is right yeah yeah so that uh yeah so th it makes sense like i said i was i was a little surprised by uh you picking it but i see it, it well it's all I there mean, i right? grew up i grew up with disco yes. you know I yeah mean, right i i really my sister like listened to disco so like that dance stuff was really kind of something that, you know, was in my head. Like I loved Cerrone. I loved like all that electro disco stuff. So, you know, like moving into like new wave and punk rock and all that stuff, I was definitely drawn to the more rhythmic stuff. And, you know, right. Gang of Four, like the entertainment album is freaking phenomenal. That oh. record is just 
I know we had yeah. um, Hugo Burnham came out as a guest. Hugo Burnham was a guest, and he talked about it. And then someone, I remember someone said to me, "Oh, why does Hugo get to talk about his, you know, his own record?" I go, "You make a record as good as entertainment, and then you could come on and talk about it." <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, I mean, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so of course, mothers of you had to have uh, mothers of invention, which I've I've gone on record as saying I never got Zappa. I I don't know. It was just always not not my thing, and uh, it just wasn't. But I could totally see it being your thing. And were you so like this is the original though, right? Mothers, this is their first yeah, freak out was yeah, the well, first thing. Well, here's the deal. Like back when I lived in New York, my friend Willie Mungin. Um, was a musician. He just turned me on to all this like power pop stuff. And he loved Zappa, like everything right. cover to cover. He played sax and he was really into Zappa. And I, I really was drawn to a lot of Zappa stuff and I loved all of it. But then when I moved to Florida and I was getting depressed and being stuck in an undeveloped, <laughs> like, like hole in the ground, I, I really could not listen to like Zappa's solo stuff after that. I just, oh, okay. it was really, Difficult. And I, I even like he came down and played Sunrise Musical Center. I didn't even go. But the Mothers of Invention, what I really love about that stuff is it really was a band and there really was like an element and edginess. And there was something kind of more a humorous Velvet Underground sort of in a way. There were. Oh, okay. There, I could see that. And you know what? I think the main thing with them is that a lot of it goes over my head. I mean, musicianship and everything, it's kind of like jazz and me. I, I understand that it's great to appreciate. I think a lot of it just goes over my head where I just can't, it's just too sophisticated for me to get. Well, I mean, I think like we're only in for the money to me is almost like a punk rock album and Freak Out too. I mean, they were just so like, they really pissed off the hippies right, and they right, pissed right. off the normals and they pissed off a lot of people. And actually like the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed and Zappa apparently were infamously like yes, enemies. They, they hated, hated each, each other. other. <laughs> but the members of like uh, the Mother of Invention apparently like hung out with, with, with uh, the Velvet Underground when they came out to uh, LA, you know, and they were all like kind of friends and stuff. Right. But yeah, there was something really like, I, I love the fact that they were just like this, there was something really trashy on the early recordings. And granted, the musicianship wasn't as perfect as it was when he started playing, when Zappa started, you know, kicked them all out and started playing with real jazz musicians right. and real classical musicians. It all more, yeah. And being able, I mean, granted, I do understand he wanted to do certain things creatively and he had to sort of explore that and it was necessary. I guess he couldn't play with those same guys anymore, but there was something about the collective of friends and people playing music together and doing something truly outlandish, which they were doing at the time. And still today, to me, it resonates and certain songs just like, like flower punk is just like, it's just so cynical and so obnoxious and so like, <laughs> right. It, 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 speaks it just, <laughs> it just, it, it's just out to piss off people. But at the same time, it's also just doing something that wasn't being done at the time. Right. And combining a bunch of things that didn't belong and making like doo-wop and 20th century experimental music and yeah. all this stuff that it should have been a total catastrophe, way worse than, anything anyone who hates Zappa could ever expect. <laughs> well, this, I mean, I, I'm still, this is 1966. So I, I am I amazed know, by I that. Know. I really am. All right, let's listen to Help, I'm a Rock. 
Yeah, honestly, if you had just played with me and didn't tell me it was Frank Zappa Mother's Invention, I wouldn't know it. You know, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't get that. And uh, yeah, it I'm going to cool. quote, quote Rap Bastard now. Ah, you played the wrong song. <laughs> Of course, of course. Oh, he's uh, if he listens to this, one. he'll be screaming that. He'll be screaming that at the. Uh, uh, well. No, it's the it. song before this one that of I want you to play. You can't please everyone, you know, Rob. But no, this is the most like <laughs> radical, weird song on the album, and it, it just really does personify the whole freakout thing. I wouldn't say it's my favorite record song on that record. Right. I would say like probably my my, my favorite record by the mothers would be We're Only It for the Money. But that song really is just so freaking crazy and weird. It's and crazy. Just, it is. It is. <laughs> it's it, it just like he just let them do whatever the hell they wanted to, which I thought was so great. I kind of, that's that's one of the things I didn't like about what Zappa did later is like, it seemed like he was just, you know, it, the music couldn't really breathe. It just had this real stringent structure. Right, right. And I, I found it really hard to listen to. Now I, I kind of appreciate it. But yeah, I went through a period where, like, as I said, moving to Florida and being trapped there before I started playing music and doing things, I was ready to like freaking, you know, take my life. I mean, pretty right. close to it. Yeah. Well, I'm but glad this, you were. I'm glad you were able, able to listen to. I'm glad you were able to uh, find your tribe, find your people, and uh, and uh, I'm 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 happy for that. Uh, it took about forty years, but yeah, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's great. It's great. So many people don't uh, don't get that and don't get to experience that. So the fact that you that's uh, true, that's true. You did it. It's great. It is all right. And of course, like I said, uh, Robert cannot follow rules, so he gave me one more. We got thirteen, but this is a great song to end the playlist. I think because it's just a great. It's it's a great uh, song. It's a great Iggy song, and I'm curious to hear why this song. It it is a great song. I love this song from uh, Iggy's third studio album. Uh, released in 1979. Let's listen to Five Foot One. Yeah, Okay, so Robert, before you say anything, I want to do a little psychoanalysis on you, a little psychoanalysis, because I think this second <laughs> verse, I'm only five foot one. I got a pain in my heart all, all the night I'm working in the amusement park with a bottle of aspirin, a sack full of jokes. I wish I could go home with all the big folks. This is you, right? <laughs> I think so to a large degree. 
He was a lot of people, man. I but, right, right. But I'm saying this speaks. This speaks to you. I mean, in a way, it speaks to me too. Um, it, it does. But I mean, yeah, it's great. It, it, it's like perfect, I have a, right? I have a Niggy story for you. And when you finally get him to be on your show, I hope you share this with him. Uh, and see from if your he mouth to God's it. ears. Go ahead. <laughs> so my friend Kevin, he was like a big guy, and he, you know, he looked. He was really into metal and a lot of punk, and he turned me on to like. Like this is back in the eighties, turned me on to the swell maps and like motorhead and a lot of stuff that I would have never like gotten my hands on back then. Right. And he was like, Iggy Pop is playing in New York. We gotta go see him. So we go, we're front row center, right in front. And this is like the eighties, and it's like the eighties Iggy Pop. It's not like, you know, Iggy posturing and moving around and being, you know, older. And granted, I mean, for an older dude, he's still freaking doing it, which is pretty freaking remarkable. But back then, I mean, he was pissing off everyone there. He was climbing on top of the lighting fixtures. He was like spitting at the audience. Right. He was just being really, really, really Iggy Pop. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Very, Very much what one would expect from like the scary Iggy Pop from back in the day. So my friend, being a big guy, was right in front yelling yeah! and Iggy Pop pinpointed him and started calling him pig boy. He goes, I want to bend you over and oh, make you squeal like a pig, pig boy. I want to, I want to screw you like a little, you know, he's like doing total like one line after another from, from freaking, uh, from deliverance, you know, he's yes. like, yeah, yeah, right. came, like the Ned Beatty and deliverance. And my friend is just sitting, standing there and you could see he's like fuming and getting pissed off. Finally, like, and this is a packed show, and this is like, you know, there was no way that they were going to, like, kick my friend out, but he grabbed Iggy Pop and had a huge spike bracelet that went down his arm and started punching him and beating the shit shit. out of Iggy Pop, (laughs) who went back on stage and had, like, blood coming out of his lip and still continued calling him Big Boy. Nice. And, like... They weren't going to kick my friend out because he was huge, and they would have had to lift him over the stage to bring right, him out. Right, they would have had to and get like four was, guys. <laughs> it was back in the day when like a show was way past capacity, and no one was going to do shit about it, you know. Right, right. So like, he ends up, you know, we, we're leaving the show after it's all over, and he's walking, and he's like, "Fuck, man, call me Pig Boy," <laughs> and as he's walking, you could see the different stages happening, and suddenly he's like. And then after like 15 minutes, he's like, holy shit, I beat up Iggy Pop. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you did. All right. Well, we're da- if Iggy does come on, we're da- I'm definitely going to have to ask him to see if he remembers that. But uh, I'm sure it's not the first yeah, time. Yeah, dude, I'm sure it's not the first time he called someone Pig Boy and they and they uh, tried to beat the shit out of him. So come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it was a pretty common occurrence. Uh, or at least you come up with new creative ways of insulting and hurting people's feelings. <laughs> But yeah, it's great, and and I had no idea until reading about uh, that album, New Values, that um, James Williamson uh, produced, like produced it. Uh, Scott Thurston is playing guitar on it, but uh, James Williamson mm-hmm. only played on one song. But uh, it's 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 really it's good such job. a great and this st- any of the stuff with the Sales Brothers on it is so good. But um, yeah, I don't know. To me, that record, yeah, it was just like I mean, New Values, all of it was just amazing, and that whole period. I think like the first Iggy album I got was Zombie Birdhouse, but that was only because like it came out back then and right, you know, it was great. more accessible and easy to get. 
but even that was just um, pretty wild stuff. You it's know? wild and stuff. It, it is, and it's still it fits your sensibilities, and yeah, obviously, right? It's all uh, so it's mm-hmm. all there. I think this, yeah, like I said, this this mixtape uh, is really good. It's a really good um, representation of you, of what you're all about, and uh, I think people are gonna are gonna you know discover some new stuff, and they're gonna like it. But I'm gonna get the whole. Uh, your whole nasty uh, whatever <laughs> song mixtape, and we'll put it up there in the uh, in the show notes for this. Uh, but yeah, Robert, so we did it. It worked out. See, you were a pain yeah, in the yeah, ass. Yeah, we made it. But we still made it work. Um, Not bad for three hours sleep. I am hurting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't forget, uh, everyone, if you go to creamyelectricsanta.bandcamp.com, that's where you could find... Uh, a lot of the music uh, that's going on in the world of Robert. Also, his uh, his um, guest profile will be on the episode, so there'll be other links there to check out the wonderful world of uh, Robert and also Priya. Uh, you guys li- living your best life in uh, Asheville now, right? Not dead yet, yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but it was great having you on. Don't forget, guys, uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. Don't go on Twitter now. They're just announcing the Johnny Depp Amber heard the, the results of that stupid trial. Like, that's all they've been talking about. How did that turn out? Uh, I don't know. Uh, who cares? Right? Who cares? Do you care? I don't yeah, care. Yeah, pretty much along with it on you. <laughs> and really, the thing is, like, the thing about links these days, you click on something, and then before you know it, man, they know who you are. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, single, you get uh, yeah. Every single stupid, crappy, like related fucking news story you're gonna get. So oh, uh, it. <laughs> you could email me at uh, at trgm uh, no trgmh trgmh33 at gmail.com. Don't forget, guys, if you want to become a patron of the show, like our new patrons Nathan Foley and Oscar Herrera and uh, Australia dude, go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh. I'd appreciate it. Robert, once again, this was great. It was fun, right? No, it was great. I really enjoyed it. it. I wish I could actually come out to my room and just uh, We'll do. Maybe out. in person. Maybe in next reality. time. Uh, yeah, maybe next time we'll do it in person. Uh, who knows? God willing, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, give our love to Priya. We will see you again. This is a bonus episode, so it's gonna. Whenever it's out, it's out. Uh, but we will have a new episode. Uh, usually every Saturday, new episodes drop. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. I'm Rob Elba. 